chapter 21. We're picking things up in verse 15. And what I want to do this morning is just start with verse 15. And from that, we'll be able to recap what we looked at a few weeks back. And then we'll also be able to set the table for what we're going to see this morning. So notice there it says, after those days, we packed up and went to Jerusalem. And so we asked the question, after what days? And this refers to the seven days that we looked at a few weeks ago that Paul spent in Caesarea on his way to Jerusalem. Remember, the Lord had purposed on his heart to go to Jerusalem to share the gospel and from there to go to Rome. And we saw those seven days that he lodged in the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of those seven deacons that we read about way earlier in the book of Acts. And we rejoiced in the fact that this man was still about the business of evangelism, of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was evident in his own home as he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And we spent some time talking about that. It was very, uh, uh, you know, very in-depth on parenting and so forth, looking at Philip's life. And then we also saw in those seven days a prophet named Agabus came down from Jerusalem and he brought a prophetic word that pertained to Paul. And it's important that we talk about this because we're going to see this prophetic word coming to fruition this morning in the rest of this chapter. Uh, as he came, he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And we're going to see indeed this morning, Paul, in an effort to preach the gospel to those in Jerusalem, getting bound up in Jerusalem and getting arrested. And we did see after that word was given that those in Caesarea, they pleaded with them not to go. And Paul responded there in Acts 21, 13, saying, For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And again, we'll see that he doesn't die in Jerusalem, but he definitely gets bound. And then in the weeks to come, the Lord willing, through him being bound, that's actually the avenue the Lord uses to bring him to Rome to preach the gospel. So it is true, a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And God was directing these steps. And remember, Paul just had a heart that was about sharing the gospel. He said, I don't count my life dear to myself. I'm here to glorify God and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in a real kind of unorthodox way, God directed his steps to make an impact on these and to be able to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so after he declared that in Caesarea, it says that they declared, well, let the Lord's will be done. And indeed, we'll see the Lord's will being done. So after those days, it says they packed up and went to Jerusalem as Paul, again, was pressing forward in the Lord Jesus. This morning, as we've already alluded to, we'll see him arriving in Jerusalem. Uh, interesting, it says that we went up to Jerusalem. Technically, they're going down geographically, but spiritually, they're going up. And we've talked about this, that in the Word of God, no matter where you're coming, Jerusalem, it's always going up. And in Psalm 120 to 134, it's called the Psalms of Ascent. And it'd be the Psalms that the pilgrim would recite and sing and worship God with as they ascended up to Jerusalem, as they would go up to worship the Lord. And as I was just considering that, it reminded me of our text last week when we talked about the resurrection of Christ 
and the fact that days coming when these physical bodies will be resurrected and will go up to the heavenly Jerusalem and will ascend the days coming in Christ where we're going to ascend and what a glorious day that's going to be and of course we read about that in first Thessalonians 4 and first Corinthians 15 and other places so as they arrive in Jerusalem today we're going to see that the elders and James the head of the church there in Jerusalem receiving Paul gladly we're going to see that he brought a report of the ministry that had been happening with the Gentiles and they rejoice in that and then we're going to see them coming back to Paul saying that there were many myriads of Jews who had believed. Myriad means tens of thousands. And so Paul's talking about great revivals amongst the Gentiles and they rejoice and they say, well, wait a minute. Tens of thousands of Jews have believed here. And then it gets really weird what they say next. Because they say there's many myriads of Jews who believed and then they say, and they're all zealous for the, and you're going to think, the Lord, right? No, the law. They're zealous for the law. And we're going to talk about that this morning, the fact that we are called to be zealous for the Lord, not the law. That it's the Lord who saves, not the law. And we're going to see clearly that there's one gospel of Jesus Christ for the Jew as well as the Gentile. But there in Jerusalem, they were grappling with these things and wrestling with these things because they were coming out of that old covenant into the new. And the Lord was trying to show them the new covenant, and yet they were wanting to hold on to the old. And really what it was producing on a large scale is many believers that were bogged down with the law and that's where you even start to wonder did they really understand grace how many of them were really saved and we're going to see even in all that unfolds in paul this morning getting falsely accused and arrested you know there's tens of thousands of jews but none of them even come to his defense because i'll tell you something about the law it's powerless to save and it's powerless to bring the unction of the holy spirit that comes when we are zealous for the Lord. And so a lot here to unpack and look at. Again, we got like 25 verses. Uh, there's going to be one in particular that we're going to camp on for a while. And, and, and then we'll see the unfoldings of how all these things happen. So again, verse 15, after those days, we packed up and went to Jerusalem. And then notice verse 16. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And this is interesting because there in, in Caesarea, they had pleaded for him not to go. I remember we just read, he said, I'm ready not only to be bound, but to die for the Lord. And then they said, well, OK, let the Lord's will be done. And it's interesting. Some of them went from pleading for him not to go to say, well, listen, if you're going, I'm going to go, too. And I think there's a great encouragement there. You know what? Fire has a tendency to spread. And when you got someone on fire that says, I don't count my life dear to myself, I'm ready to go. Listen, it might not be everyone, but there is always a remnant that says, I'm ready to go too. And here they are following Paul there to Caesarea. And it's interesting, they bring with them, and it, it's just interesting, some of the little footnotes here, none of this is by chance. They bring to him this guy, Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple. And remember when Paul, when he was still Saul, he, 
you know, it heavily persecuted the church in Jerusalem. And that's when they scattered. And one of the first places the gospel went was to Cyprus, this, you know, an island. And this man got saved early on. And so it's just ironic that in a way he got the gospel through Paul when Paul was in rebellion because Paul, not even knowing, was used by God to scatter the church. They weren't going out the way they were supposed to be going out. And so through that, the gospel went out. This guy got saved. And I just love the fact that a lot of time has gone by and he's still following the Lord strong. We see him ministering, you know, even with the gift of hospitality. And, you know, again, we don't know a lot about this guy. We won't spend a lot of time talking about him. But there's no doubt that he had endured trials and persecutions. Those are promised to us as followers of the Lord. No doubt he endured temptations to go back to sin, to get bitter, to quit, etc. And yet here he is, an early disciple, still pressing on in the Lord. And it's not a big deal, but the Lord takes note of it, does he not, as we read it here. And I'll tell you, we're going to have temptations to, you know, not abound in the Lord and to, you know, get bitter or to, you know, not walk with the Lord as perhaps we once walked. But we have a call to continue on. And I'll tell you, there's great joy and there's great reward in that. Galatians 6, Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And I'll tell you, the Lord's with you every step along the way. Maybe this morning you've lost heart a bit. Get your eyes back on the Lord and let the Lord refresh you and encourage you and build you up because there's reward in due season in walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that this morning? Now notice verse 17 and When we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. So, again, Paul shows up after having ministered to many, many Gentiles and nations and cities and so forth. And so he shows up, and praise God, they receive him gladly. And that listen, that's a big deal. Because, again, these guys were working through, uh, you know, the old covenant to the new covenant. And were working through the fact that Gentiles didn't didn't have to become Jews to become Christians. That they had full access to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'd even seen in this mission trip up to this point, there being more than one occasion when Jews would show up. Some even from Jerusalem to oppose the gospel of Christ, saying, listen, it's not just Jesus. You also have to go back under the law. And these Gentiles can't be Christians unless they first become Jews and they get circumcised and, you know, they keep the Sabbath and all of these things that are part of the ceremonial law that, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. They're just a shadow of the substance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is encouraging that he shows up And they receive him gladly. And yet, you know what? We're going to see there's kind of not a gel fully, though, here in a minute. Another side note here, he shows up and he goes in and uh, he goes into James and the elders were there. And this is just a real side note. When you read Acts, when, you know what, you read uh, uh, church history about the early church. Again, it's just a side note. Um. Peter's not the head of it, (laughs) just so you know. James, the brother of Jesus, ascends to be, you know, if you want to call 
someone, the head of the church, not Peter. And I only throw that out there because there's a certain denomination that says Peter was the leader and it says Peter was, you know, the pope. And on one hand, there wasn't even a pope. And then on the other hand, James was clearly the leader. On top of that, Peter had a wife. And so this goes against a lot of dogma and doctrine of a certain denomination and tradition of men. And I just tell you this morning, we got to honor God's word, not the tradition of men, especially when the tradition of men contradicts the word of the living God. I don't care what tradition it is, whether it's a Catholic tradition or a Protestant tradition, God's word triumphs over all of it. Psalm 138.2 says, you have magnified your word above all your name. And God word, God's word makes it very clear who was heading up the church in Jerusalem. It was James. And so let's stand in the truth of the scripture because that sheds light on a whole lot of other things and exposes a whole lot of other things. Verse 19, it says, and when he had greeted them, he told them in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And so, again, this is going really well. Paul recaps, and it says he went into detail, you know what, the things that had happened in the ministry to the Gentiles there in, in, uh, in, in Greece and in Asia Minor. You know what, no doubt he probably took him through all the things that unfolded there in Ephesus. You know, what glorious things. Remember, he arrived there, and we read in Acts 19.6, he came across 12 guys that believed in the Lord. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, though. And upon learning this, hands were laid upon them. And these Gentiles, they received the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. And then we read a few verses later that soon the gospel went to all of Asia Minor. It says that everyone heard the word of the Lord Jesus. It says both Jews and Greeks. And then we saw soon after that that unusual miracles happened from the hands of Paul and people were getting healings and delivered from demons and then through a series of various events in kind of peculiar way the Lord allowed a revival to break out and it says that you know these people were just getting saved left and right and they took all the books that they had used to practice witchcraft with and they went and they burned them all it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver you talk about an incredible move of God. And then from there it said that the word of God, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's just what happened in Ephesus. And we've gone through this over the last several weeks just seeing just a great move of the Lord. And so he shared that in detail. And they heard it and they glorified God, which was a great thing as well. You know, this, this, is, this is unfolding well. And then it's interesting. It's kind of curious how this is even written. How it's even broken up. Again, he gave great detail of what God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. They heard it. They glorified God. And then it's almost like in the same breath here. They glorified God. And then they said to him, you see, brethren, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. And again, I don't want to read too deeply into this. Maybe I'm reading something that's not there. But I know when you're given a praise report and someone says, praise God. And then they just move to, hey, but guess what's happening over here? Sometimes it can come across a little of like, okay, did you really listen? Or were you more thinking about 
what you're going to say because you want to one-up what I just said. Anyone ever experienced that before? Now, maybe that's not exactly what's happening here, but I think maybe it is what's happening here. You know what? Again, he comes back, and this is a praise report to a degree. Again, we're, th- this, this, this gets really interesting. He says, you see, brethren, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. A myriad means tens of thousands. And what's interesting is Jerusalem at that time had an estimate population of 40,000. So many myriads have believed. They've been predominantly there in Jerusalem. So if it doesn't say a myriad, but myriads. So that's at least two myriads. So are you saying half the city is followers of the Lord Jesus Christ now? That's a weighty, weighty number. And listen, if it was, we don't know these people's salvation, but I'll tell you what he says next sheds a lot of light, and there's a lot said about it in the scripture that would make you question, do these people really believe in the Lord, or are they believers of the law? Or do they believe the Lord and they have faith in the law? But I'll tell you this morning, only faith in the Lord will save you. You start tacking on faith in the law and your doings, that's not salvation. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a lie is what that is. So again, there's many myriads who believe, and then what he comes next, and what he says, and we've been alluding to it, is just insanity. He says, and they're all, he doesn't say, and some of them are, but they're all, these many myriads, which, again, a myriad's 10,000, so we know there's at least 20. I, I got a sense he's saying 40,000 here. They're all zealous for the law. And as he says this in context of this in New Testament and the dressing of this, Listen, he's not just talking about the do's and don'ts of the moral law. And sometimes there's reference to the law that's a reference to all of the word of God. But specifically, he's talking them about them being zealous for the ceremonial law. The keeping of the feasts and the Sabbath and circumcisions and certain washings and touchings and foods. And a lot of those things that the Pharisees got so upset with Jesus with because... He wasn't part of their law when they added to this law. They're zealous about that. Again, it's not a declaration that, hey, they believe in the Lord and they're zealous for the word of God because in the word of God they're learning about the Lord. And Listen, really, they're zealous about the Lord. No, they're fixated with the law. And hear this this morning, the word of God does not revolve around the law. It revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're called to be zealous about the Lord. Again, they're zealous about the shadow and not the substance. Colossians 2.16 says, So let no one judge you in food or drink regarding festival, new moons, or Sabbath. These are the things they're zealous about. Hey, we believe in the Lord, but we're zealous about all this because they had a mixture going on here of the Lord and the law. And we see throughout this, and we see through the epistles of Hebrews and Galatians, along with other places, that a false gospel had come in, that it's Jesus plus keeping the law. And in particular, these ceremonial things. And he, the, the, the Lord wrote through Paul, don't let one, anyone judge you in these things. And in verse 17, he says, which are the shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And all those things, all they did was they pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about this. You know, if, if you're walking along and the sun's right, 
Let's see if I, I'll just come off the stage here. And you see my shadow over here. And you're like, oh, Steve's coming. Not much to get excited about, but maybe you're excited. I got candy or something. And, and you see the shadow, the, the shadow don't have any candy. The shadow has nothing to offer. You can rejoice seeing the shadow. But listen, once I come, why are you still caught up in the shadow? I'm here with candy now. You know what I'm saying? And they're caught up in the shadow. First John 117, it says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by what? We're saved by grace. We're saved by the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the law. And they believe, but they're zealous for the law. This is problematic because the law is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, again, fulfilled every aspect of the law. And even in all these ceremonies and all these things, you know what? They're fulfilled in the Lord. If you're zealous over Passover because you want to go and fully immerse yourself in the Old Testament practice, that's problematic. Now, if you want to celebrate the Passover in the Old Testament way with the Seder, but the focus is all on the Lord Jesus Christ, then that's a glorious thing. Because the Passover now is fulfilled in Christ. Like, oh, we celebrate the Passover. Then that's, you bet, we celebrated that this morning. Do you know that? This morning we celebrated Passover. We are like, well, listen, that was, wasn't that, a, you know, a while back? No. Listen, that's every day in Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Remember when Jesus started his ministry, John the Baptist is ministering. You see Jesus, is, Jesus coming towards him. And in John 1, 29, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Listen, that's the substance. Back in the Old Testament, when, you know what, they would take a lamb and they'd go through that whole process. It was an act of faith in the Lamb of God who would come that would save them, not the actual shedding of the blood of that lamb. Why are you rejoicing in the shadow when the substance has come? And I'll tell you, with the, with the Sabbath, listen, that's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Sabbath this morning is not Friday from sundown to Saturday to sundown. Now, if you want to take that day off, take it off to the Lord. But if you don't want to take it off, don't take it off to the Lord. Because our Sabbath this morning is Christ. And in that Old Testament covenant, when they would take that time off, it was pointing them to the rest that would be found in the Lord Jesus Christ once he came and atoned for our sins. And these guys are zealous about the shadow when the substance had come. Again, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I'll tell you something about the law. It will make you weary, and it will make you heavy laden. But Christ Jesus will give you liberty and empower you with the Holy Spirit to walk in real victory that the law could just not bring. In the epistle written to the Hebrews, and who are we talking about here in Jerusalem? These are Hebrews. It says in Hebrews 10.1, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come. Again, it's a shadow. Not the very image of the things that can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Remember, they bring sacrifice for their sin, but they'd have to bring them every year. For then would they not cease to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more conscience of sin. He's saying if they really washed away your sin, 
He'd offer it once and it'd be done. But they had to offer them over and over and over again. It says in verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And that's found in Psalm 46 through 8, a prophetic word about the substance. The blood of bulls and goats, it was the shadow. And yet it was prophesied, the Son of God will come in a body. Verse 6, it says, but in burnt offerings and sacrifice of sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. And the volume of the book is written of me to do your will of God. Again, the volume of the book, the word of God, it ain't about the law. Are you hearing this this morning? It's about the Lord. Previously, previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offering for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to what? The law. And he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. This is the last verse. It's underlined. Look at it. He takes away the first to establish the second. By that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus once for all. They were caught up in the first when the second had come. They're like, we believe, but boy, we're going to practice the old covenant over here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus has established the new covenant and he died once for all again these things have been fulfilled in the lord jesus christ and instead of being zealous about the lord and even if they still went through those motions that can be done if the focus isn't on the lord but they had to focus all on the law they're saying it's jesus plus us keeping the law we've seen it over and over again come up these gentiles can't be saved just through the lord you have to circumcise them it's the law and the lord circumcision doesn't wash you of your sins it's only the shed blood of christ and his resurrection and any other thing you want to tack on it's only the lord and faith in the lord and now i know this is where some people start getting weird but listen if we don't emphasize the law we'll do bad things listen you want to have victory over sin practically put the emphasis on the lord to be a follower of christ because those with faith in the lord want the lord to lead their life they don't want to go back to sin but I tell you, you know what the emphasis on the law does? It just causes sin to spread more and more and more. Knowledge of sin comes through the law. We haven't been called to be zealous for the law. We've been called to be zealous for the Lord. Verse we look at often. It's a key New Testament verse. Galatians 3.24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. We talked about this so many times. We talked about it last Sunday a lot on Resurrection Sunday. The law shows us we're sinners. You go through the Ten Commandments, the moral law, and you see that you're a sinner. Broke that one, broke that one, broke that one. Think maybe, no, I broke it. You know, broke that one, broke that one. Only broke that one once. Well, you break one, you break the whole thing. It teaches us that we need to come to Christ, that we might be justified by what? Notice what it says, that we might be justified by keeping the law. No, by faith. Faith anew, Christ who kept the law. And then notice what it says, but after faith has come, are you ready for this? A lot of people don't get this. So, so, some people get overwhelmed with this. A lot of pastors don't get this. By, but after faith has come, we are no longer under what? We're no longer under the tutor, which is what? In context, the law. 
We're not under the law. We're under grace. And you're like, well, I like being under the law. Then you're going to go to hell because you can't keep the law. You will transgress the law. You will break the law time and time again. We better put our faith in Christ if we want to be saved. And then notice 1 Timothy 1.8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. We need to use the law in a right way. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Let me ask you this morning, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Can you say amen to that? Then hear this, you're a righteous person this morning. You're like, well, I don't always do the right thing. Well, practically, we're a work in progress. But listen, positionally, through faith in Christ, you have right standing with God. You are righteous in Christ Jesus. The law is not made for a righteous person. Well, what's it for? Lawless and insubordinate, for ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, the profane, murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, for fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, if there's any other thing contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel and blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The law shows sinners, again, that they need Christ. That's the purpose of the law. It's not for a righteous person. We have right standing with the Lord. Now listen, is that where someone steps back? Well, good, I'm not under the law. So I want to go pursue sin. No. If you're under the Lord, if you're truly under the Lord, who do you want to pursue? The Lord. You don't want to be brought under the bondage of sin. You want to walk in liberty in Christ Jesus. And you're like, no, I only came to Christ to get out from underneath the law so I can go sin as I will. Well, listen, there's another side of this. And Judas says that, you know, when you take sin or grace and make it a license to sin, you deny the Lord. That's where you need to check yourself. Are you really in the Lord? Because if you get to know the Lord, you get zealous for the Lord. Listen, you're going to hate sin way more than even if you're zealous for the law. It just It's a supernatural work of God. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Again, are you in Christ today? Can you say amen to that? Speaking to the believer, it says, all things are lawful for me. All things are lawful. But again, notice what is sex is next. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. But I won't be brought under the power of any. Why? Because as a follower of Christ, you want to be under whose power? The power of the Lord. That's evidence of your faith. If he is your Lord, you want to be led by your Lord, do you not? That means something. The Lord means something. It means he, he is number one and we are secondary. We follow him. He is our Lord. We don't want to be brought under the power of sin. And then he says, food is for the stomach, stomach for the food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and Lord for the body. And again, listen, when you're zealous for the Lord, you want to use your body to glorify the Lord. And then in the Lord, there is actually found the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to have not only positional victory over sin through faith in Christ, but for God to begin a work that he'll be faithful to complete where there's a process of growing victory over practical sin. 
Again, Jesus said in John 15, 5, again, another key passage. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him does what? Bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And part of abiding in the Lord is doing this, being zealous not for the law, but zealous for the Lord. I want to get in God's word because I want to learn more about my Lord. I want to pray because I want to bring everything before the Lord. I want to worship because I'm called to worship the Lord. And when you abide in the Lord, there is a work of the Holy Spirit that happens in your life where there's growth. There's supernatural victory that begins to happen over sin that you can't find when you focus in on the law. And there's a great joy that comes from focusing in on the Lord versus when you focus in on the law. You ever get around someone that just focused on the law where it's legalism? And again, there's a big difference between holiness and legalism. But there's a lot of folks running around, even in the evangelical church, that, that they're really not even evangelical because they think you're saved through the law. And I'll tell you, there's some of the worst people in the world to be around. You talk about major killjoys because they don't have the joy of the Lord. You can't be zealous for the law and not have the joy of the Lord. You want to have the joy of the Lord? You got to be zealous for the Lord. And here's the thing with this. And pretty soon we're really going to power through the rest of this. They all do this. James knew this. The elders knew this. And yet it's like they're reverting back to the old covenant. What's going on here? They knew the law couldn't save. They'd had great discussions on this. I'll just go through it real quickly. And listen, this is Bible study here. If, if we're here just to be entertained, I'd probably skip this passage. But we're here to learn, amen? This is, this is incredibly important. Souls hang in the balance concerning these truths. Go back to Acts 15. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Where are they getting what they're teaching from? What's going on in Jerusalem that we're reading about now? Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. What in the world are you talking about? Faith in Jesus isn't enough. The customary teaching of Moses or the laws, you've got to be physically circumcised. Again, in Christ, you're spiritually circumcised. The Lord circumcises your heart. The physical circumcision was a foreshadow of the Lord circumcising your heart when you get saved. But unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. And I love verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, so in others he said, no, you're not bringing that in here. We're not standing for that. And remember, in this missionary journey, it wasn't just Gentiles being saved. Jews were getting saved, too. Jews were all over the place. And they didn't say, hey, Gentiles, come over here for the Gentile gospel. And now all you Jews come over, and we're going to give you the Jew gospel. There's only one gospel. There is only one gospel. And I love it. There was no small dissension. This is a picture of a real shepherd here. You ain't bringing that in here. I don't care if you're from Jerusalem. I don't care who sent you. You're not bringing that here. I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what you say about us. I don't care what you do when you leave this place. You're not bringing that here. It's a mark of a true pastor. 
Again, there was no small dissension. It says they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about the question. Who's in Jerusalem? James is there. Peter's up there and so forth. So they start talking about it. And I'll summarize the next few verses. Peter stands up and he says, hey, I was at Cornelius' house. They believed the Holy Spirit poured out on them. God made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. No one was circumcised. It wasn't, hey, we believe. Well, as soon as we circumcised them, the Holy Spirit fell on them. No, the Holy Spirit fell on them when they believed. And verse 80 says, so God knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples? Hear this which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear. They're saying we can't hold up the law. Every time we do, we break it. We can't keep it. And then he says, but we believe that through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, notice, in the same manner as they. There's not the Jew gospel and the Gentile gospel. Then Paul and Barnabas begin to describe all the works amongst the Gentiles. And then what comes next in verse 13? James pipes in. And he brings out scripture. He says, yeah, this is all according to the Bible. And yet here we are just six chapters down the road in a little bit of time. Many myriads believe. Many myriads of the Jews believe. And they're all zealous for the law. Wait a minute. What's going on here? This would be massively problematic again in the early church. And hear this this morning, it's massively problematic today. You got people running around even, and again, it's easy to pick on Roman Catholicism with all the things they add on and the things you've got to do. But I'll tell you this morning, there's all kinds of evangelical churches that do the same thing. People confused about water baptism. Oh boy, have you been watered baptism, b- baptized yet? You're not saved till you're baptized in the water. That ain't true. Water can't take away your sin. The only thing it can is the shed blood of Christ and faith in the Lord. Now, that's an act of obedience, but that can't save you. Are you a member of a church? You can't be saved unless you're a member of the church. God wants you to be part of a local Bible teaching church, but that doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. It's only the Lord. But people tack on all these rules and laws and so forth. Got to dress a certain way and so forth. It's always how they dress, right? It's always like what they've determined, you know, to be protocol. Listen, there's certain people today, they'd see me standing up here in, in, a, in a shirt like this, and they'd say, oh, you're, 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 you can't be saved. Or on Wednesday night up here in a T-shirt and jeans. Well, listen, up to about 10 years ago, this county didn't even have a store that sold suits. And I got liberty and freedom to come up here in a suit and tie if I want. I do funerals and weddings in them. Everyone says I look quite dapper. But listen, if I want to preach the gospel to people in this community, I want to connect with them. And that ain't going to happen, in my opinion, all suited up in here. I want to say, listen, I'm like you. I need Jesus like you need Jesus, and I don't want that to be a detraction. But certain people, they got these things. And boy, they'd frown on and so forth. And some even take us so far to put a judgment on how can that even be a Christian. I chuckle all the time. We get these Facebook posts from here and there, and they'll see someone on the worship team up here with a hat on. 
Oh, boy, you're in sin. You got that hat on. You don't understand scripture. Because they go to Corinthians where it talks about the man and head covering and so forth. And the whole context has to do with order of the home. And it also has to do what was going on there in, 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 the, in Corinth where the Christian women had the appearance of a prostitute. And so he's giving them, again, a scriptural order of the home while just some practical counsel. And then at the end he says, but listen, we don't have such customs. Why? Because in Jerusalem, the high priest wore a turban on his head when he went in to worship God, for goodness sakes. We don't have that custom. Have any of you ever gone to Israel today? Now listen, they're confused like they were back then. There's a small remnant to believe, but they go to worship God, and the men have to have what? A hat on your head. They don't care if it's a yarmulke or a Las Vegas Raider hat. They don't care. They're just like, cover your head. Because we don't have those customs. But these people get all weird with this. They don't even listen to the message. Oh, you're in sin. He has a hat on his head. And listen, that might offend you this morning. And if it does, I guess you've got to deal with that. But that's your custom. And I understand a lot of people in the military, they're caught to take their hats off, and it's a thing of respect. But listen, this is California. Most people don't think like that. And so this is where... Listen, you have your you have your convictions, but that might not be someone else's conviction. So don't make it a law that would stumble people. Does that make sense? And listen, to walk in that, you got to be mature. You got to have a deeper understanding of Scripture. You got to love your brother. We're not talking about gross immorality and stuff in the moral law reiterated in the New Testament. We're supposed to walk away from. We call sin, sin, and those things need to be dealt with, and they're dealt with when you're zealous about the Lord. But all this stuff with the law, man, people get weird. They don't have, they don't understand it. They don't get it. And you know why? Because it gets rooted back in us wanting to be co-redeemers. Because it feels good when you keep your law. I pat myself on the back. It's 99% Jesus and 1% me. It's 0% you. You even set your own law. You're going to be dead. Your tie's crooked. And that's problematic according to your law. You understand what I'm saying here? And so they're rejoicing in this kind of false form of Christianity. I don't know these guys' hearts, but I know this, that, that if you're zealous for the Lord, not for the Lord, that's problematic. And again, several of these epistles written addressing this. Galatians 2. Paul talks about confronting James, confronting Peter. And he says in Galatians 2.16, knowing a man is not justified by works of the law, but faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not works of the law, for by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And yet they're zealous in this. Why? Probably a part of ignorance. The leadership there not emphasizing what they should have been emphasizing. I think it was a thing probably to go along, to get along. Hey, we like their acknowledging Jesus, so let's just, you know what, keep this law thing kind of on the down low. To appease them. We're not called to appease men. Paul said, if I live to please men, I can't be a bondservant of Christ. And this is, listen, this is where Paul rises above these guys. I know they're all men, but Paul, 
and declare the truth. <laughs> he had to rebuke James. He had to rebuke Peter at times because of this. This is how bad this was. This very well could have been out of pride, too. They saw all the Gentiles getting saved, and they want to say, listen, we want, we want there to be a move here. How can that happen? Well, they're really into the law, so listen, let's kind of make a hybrid gospel where it's like, if Jesus, why don't you keep the law? That they'll really like, that will tickle their ears. It's a seeker-sensitive gospel for Jerusalem. Can't do that. Galatians 5.1, and this is where you ask the question, how many myriads of these Jews were saved? Galatians 5.1 through 4, Stand fast there in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You become estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. And then Galatians 3.26, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. So again, it's through Christ. But they brought this, and I think that's probably the best way to put it, this seeker-sensitive gospel to Jerusalem. And it was problematic. Quickly. Notice what comes next. Verse 21. Yeah, we're back to our text here. We really haven't left it. But they have informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. And it's interesting here. You know, they've been informed about you. Paul, you're the problem. You're even telling the Jews amongst the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Yeah, he was. James is wanting to say, how can we make this work? And he's even not necessarily opposing that. It's like he knows but it's like we've appeased them with the law, so what are we going to do about this to keep them happy? How about tell them all to forsake Moses, to follow again? Who, what, what did Moses bring? The law. Grace and truth came by who? Jesus Christ. Now, if they wanted to walk in those customs again to celebrate Christ, praise God. Nothing wrong with that. Many people do that today. But if, again, you're putting your faith in those customs to save you, that's a big problem because that won't save you. That will damn you. Again, volume is written on this in the New Testament. So what then? In other words, translation, what can we do to appease them? Verse 23, therefore, do what we tell you. And this is where Paul, even, it seems, he's so eager to preach Jesus to them. And I know his end game was just to get opportunity to do that. I believe he was thinking, okay, what do I need to do to preach Christ to them? Perhaps it was a mistake, you know what, going along with them like this. Verse 23, do, therefore do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them. Pay their expense that they may shave their heads and that all may know that, you, that, that th those things of which 
they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you also walk orderly and keep the law. So they probably had the vow of a Nazarite, shave your head, so that the things they heard, they believed they're not true, and you walk according to the law. Now, again, Paul walked in a lot of those customs, but he did that to have a bridge to the Jew, and he would do that celebrating Christ. Verse 4, 25, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we've written and decided that these should observe no such thing, but keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and sexual immorality. So it's almost like, do this so they think you're still, you know, one who has faith plus faith in the law, and we made a law for the Gentiles. Well, that was counsel for the Gentiles. Verse 26, then Paul took the men the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. And again, in my opinion, perhaps Paul's making a mistake here. And I think you see how this is played out. I'll, I'll, I'll spoil alert, he just gets arrested We'll see next week, Lord willing, he preaches. No one listens. <laughs> I don't know. Verse 27. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, again, where's in Asia? Ephesus is in Asia. Seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, this man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they have previously seen uh, Trophimus and Ephesian, the Ephesian with them in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So these Jews from Asia who tracked him everywhere wanting to kill him. Why? Because he taught grace. He said, you don't need to be circumcised. That's the shadow, the substance of Christ. And they wanted to kill him. Now they're there in Jerusalem. And actually what they say first is true. He teaches every man everywhere against the, pe uh, against the people of the law. He did. Jew and Gentile, faith in Christ. And Paul's kind of in a pickle here because he's kind of going along to misrepresent truth to a degree. And I think the end was to preach truth. But we got to be careful. Listen, the means, the means never justifies the ends. And then they bring a lie. He brought Greeks in the temple. Paul never did that. That would be a total offense to these Jews. But they tacked that on. They're accusers of the brethren. And then in verse 30, it says, And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Time out. All the cities disturbed. Supposedly, there's myriads of Jews who are born again there. Why aren't any of them standing up saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why aren't they coming to Paul's defense? I'll tell you why. The law is void of power. The law can't bring the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3, 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? There's many myriads of supposedly believing Jews. Where's the power at? Again, there's myriads of believing Jews, tens of thousands in the city of 40,000. And these feasts, the population would sell up, swell up to a couple hundred thousand. Still, if you got 20, 30,000 there, there should have been some resistance. And yet there's none. Verse 
We don't read of it at any point. And then in verse 31, now as they were seeking to kill him, these guys really keep the law, you know. Maybe a little hypocritical here. You know what? Sure, we, we murdered an innocent man, but we keep the Sabbath for goodness sake. Again, that, this is what the law brings. You strain in an ant and swallow a camel. Yeah, I judge him because he doesn't comb my hair. You know, I hate him in my heart because he doesn't comb his hair like me. But look how I comb my hair. I'm right before God. It always produces that. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar and immediately took soldiers and centurions ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So the Jews are beating him, and now here come the Romans, and like, okay, we, we, we better stop back. I'm going to, spoiler alert again, they knew Paul was a Roman citizen. They knew that. Pa- Paul, was ra- Paul was raised with these guys. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. They, they did a background check. What they were doing was grossly illegal, would bring a beat down on them or cost their life. You can't just beat a Roman citizen. doesn't matter if he's a Jew or not. You, you can't do that. Verse 33, then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. He asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when they could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken to the barracks. Again, listen, the Lord brings order. The law brings disorder. They don't even know what's going on. They're just consumed with what? Zeal for the law. Verse 35, and when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of people followed after crying out, away with him. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? And then notice, this is crazy, verse 38. Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion? And listen to what it says. Led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness. This centurion saying, this guy must have done something really bad for them to be behaving this way. This must be that Egyptian who led 4,000 assassins. That's the only way they could be this crazy right here. No, it was because of their zeal for the law. That's what, that's what created this. Again, zeal for the law creates a vicious self-righteousness that's ruthless Versus, again, holiness and love and fruits of the Spirit that comes from zeal for the Lord. And Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in uh, Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. You know what's interesting about here? I just thought about this. You know what? This centurion is more interested in doing right by his master than the mob was. He, he was in grave danger himself with a mob like this. But his master was Rome, and he wanted to honor his master. He had more integrity than those wanting to rip Paul apart. Because, again, they had no justification in wanting to murder him because they keep the law. You know, especially like this in an unjust way. So notice verse 40, and it sets up what comes next. 
So when he gave him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in Hebrew language, saying, in chapter 41. And listen, this was the opportunity Paul wanted. This is what he was looking for. It, it, it was a thing where he, he's expressed this. He wants to share the gospel with them, the real gospel, faith in Christ. And, and he's going along with this to look for this opportunity. But I think we got to step back and, you know what, again, the means never justifies the ends. And really with this effort that would come, we'll see, Lord willing, next week he preaches Jesus. But it's interesting, it's as casting pearls before swine because it makes no impact on them. And it just thrusts them into the prison system, which amazingly God would use for many epistles to be written. And the gospel would be spread to many dignitaries and so forth. And Paul would have planned his ways, but the Lord would direct his steps in a completely different way than he had in mind. I hope some of that made sense this morning. We need to be zealous for the Lord, amen. You want a holy life? You don't want to be brought under the bondage of sin? Be zealous for the Lord. Get near to the Lord. Worship the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Get in the Word to learn about the Lord. And I'll tell you, God will do a mighty work. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We give you glory, God. Lord, I thank you for your scriptures, and Lord, we thank you for the revelation found in them. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you fulfilled the law. And we thank you, Lord, that in you we have the assurance of salvation. The law doesn't bring that. That's only found in the Lord. I want to pray, God, that we'd be found a people, again, zealous for you, Lord, and abounding in that zeal, growing in you immensely. God, a people, Lord, that long to walk in holiness and in the love of the Lord, fruits of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Ghost, knowing again, that only comes from abiding in you. Let us be found there. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, you've heard the gospel over and over. Again, do-goodism will not save you. Keeping laws will not save you. We're all transgressors of the law. Some are more aware of that than others. But listen. Outside of Christ, we're all in the same place before God, sinners. And Jesus stands ready to forgive and wash and cleanse any sinner who would truly ask Jesus to be their Lord. And we talked a little bit about that this morning. If you don't know Him, call on Him today. If you've been leaning on the law, repent of that and put faith in the Lord today. The scripture says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you, call on him. We thank you. We praise you, God. Let us finish well lifting our voices to you. Let's stand up right now and worship the Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart.
Listen, we got uh, about a half hour or so before that next service. Encourage you, bless someone before you leave. Let's fellowship and be encouraged in the Lord. I just pray He riches, richly blesses you this day and Lord willing in the week before us. God bless you.